Welcome to the Library Love Fest podcast, brought to you by HarperCollins Publishers. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Check it out. Book Buzz, HarperCollins Book Buzz. Brought to you by Library Love Hi, it's Lainey from the Library Love Fest marketing team, and today we're here with another episode of Editors Unedited, and we are joined by Dominique Lear, and I'm going to let her take it away. Hi, I'm Dominique Lear. I am an assistant editor here at Echo, um, an imprint of HarperCollins. I've actually very recently joined the Echo team, and I've recently gotten on the the, the weather machine bandwagon, but um, it's been a lot of fun to work with Andrew on this um, exceptional book. Um, I can say without a doubt that this book has changed the way I think about weather forecasts. Um, in The Weather Machine, Andrew Blum is pulling back the curtains on a universal part of our daily lives, the weather forecast. And in a, a sort of taking an, a similar approach to his previous book, Tubes, he illuminates our changing relationships with technology, the planet, and our global community. Um, so Hi, Andrew. Hello. Yeah. Uh, um, so I thought we'd start off the conversation um, with the basics. Um, your previous book, Tubes, was about looking for the infrastructure of the internet and where did the internet actually start. So how did you come to weather? Where? How did you move over to the weather machine from the, the internet? From the internet, yeah. Um, it was partly a, a search for... Um, thinking about what these really big and ubiquitous and complex infrastructures are that we always touch every day. Mm -hmm. um, there aren't so many of them, um, but I find that the, the real challenge is kind of figuring out the way into the story and how to frame the approach to things that we often kind of either take for granted or are too complicated to get much below the surface of them. And that what was the way in for me for the weather, and I've always loved the weather, like that's kind of, I've always looked at things through the lens of places and architecture and infrastructure and, and these themes were very close to me. But for the challenge with the weather was to really say, okay, is it about clouds and storm chasers? Is it about this kind of poetic way of looking at the sky? And um, is it about tornadoes and storms? And uh, you know, a lot of weather narratives do kind of focus on horrible things that have happened. Um, and I was trying to think of ways that um, that it could uh, it could reflect my interest more in technology, in these big complex systems, and in both the kind of um, terrifying, unusual moments, but also the more banal everyday moments, the kind of small talk of weather. And the way in for me ended up um, being uh, really through a recognition of how important the weather models have become, mm -hmm. and the weather models are the big supercomputer systems um, that really drive almost all weather forecasting today. And the key moment, uh, really the sort of the seed of it was um, during uh, Hurricane Sandy in 2012, um, which was just a couple months um, after my first book, Tubes, was published. Um, it was a few weeks um, after my son was born, uh, and I, I was amazed that this um, storm that proved incredibly dramatic and consequential for us here in New York um, was really predicted basically eight days ahead. Um, and 
the way it was predicted wasn't based on any sort of amazing insight on the part of talented meteorologists, um, although they are full of insight. Um, it was really based on the system that they had constructed um, with the supercomputers and with this, the weather models. And the weather models, though, were a real black box. I couldn't understand what was happening inside them. Mm -hmm. um, and that kind of was my challenge. I mean, that sort of set me off to sort of say, okay, can I, can I understand what the weather models are made of? And can I understand and can I tell a story about the you know global infrastructure that's, that supplies them um, that we then all kind of see the results of every day when we glance at the weather forecast in the simplest way? That's uh, fascinating. And it's interesting that you talk about it in terms of, sort of the banal moments of just weather and these larger moments of weather. Um, was there anything surprising in what you found in a differences between that like were there any differences between the way that those models work at those at those extremes of the weather um or just the same i think for me the the surprise was how differentiated the different models were mm -hmm. they were often kind of taken they were lumped together mm -hmm. um mm -hmm. you know they and i i know from from sort of past experience writing about complex infrastructure that it's really about the parts and pieces it's mm -hmm. really about sort of slowing down and saying okay what is this made of? You know, what you know. If I if I stop trying to sort of follow the system all at once, kind of zooming around, and instead plant my feet and say, okay, what what, what you know, what is this thing? How did this get here? How did it develop? Um, you begin to realize that each model, each system, kind of each sort of um, kind of national research structure, all of these things, they all have their own personalities and characters and and protagonists, mm -hmm. and. Um, and when you start talking to people, um, they often have favorites. Mm -hmm. um, and um, in the case of the weather models, uh, the European model, as it's, as it's sort of known only in the US and Europe, they don't call it that, um, is, was really the one that sort of stood apart, not just for the way it seemed to be better at predicting the weather, predicting the future on a global scale, um, but also for the legibility of, um, of the story of its creation and its, and its improvement. Um, and that, of course, for me is crucial because I need people who can explain how this works and how it's developed to me so I can explain it to readers mm -hmm. um, and, um, and make it as vivid as possible. And that um, in the European Center, which is um, European Center for Medium Range Weather Forecasts, which is um, outside of London and Reading, uh, they're just really good not only at making weather models, but at, at explaining to themselves and explaining to other people what makes their weather model work and how it can be constantly improved. So that differentiation, that sort of recognition that this isn't just a monolith of the weather forecast, mm -hmm. but it's sort of you know, filled with individual stories was really the, the, the key way in for me. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and one of the key themes that you that are sort of is alive in the book is the fact that um, there's, because there are so many individuals and there's so many moving parts, a key aspect both today and historically for the weather machine and how it's developed over time is the idea of collaboration. Um, could you talk a little bit about that? Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, that's, I, I mean, it's infrastructures made by people mm -hmm. um, and it's never made by one person, um, which from a storytelling perspective can be hard because um, it's not, you know, it's not a sports hero or a politician even or anything like that. It's really almost always about large groups of people working together. Um, and I, for me, um, it, there were sort of different categories of, of different parts of the weather machine, um, as, I, as I describe it. Mm -hmm. There are satellites and the weather models and the weather observers and all that. And it was sort of recognizing the way in which these different parts fit together, but also finding um, 
in some ways, a very narrow path through this very broad topic. Mm-hmm. Um, I think about uh, Hans van Kampen, who was a, a, um, a Dutch weather observer who I spent the day with on an island off the coast of Norway. And there are weather observers all over the world. How I ended up with Hans on this island, <laughs> you know, the coast of Norway, um, you know, says a lot about um, about the the challenge of reporting something like this, and the and the, the choices that are inevitably made. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, of course, um, as a writer, you then you then live with those choices. You make mm-hmm. choices as a reporter, as a writer, you live with those choices. Right. Um, and um, and so that that kind of the the way in which you know the collaboration is is work between one person and many mm-hmm. um, but as a journalist I'm writing about one person at a time right and and that 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 leap um, or that focus on that one person um, is uh, is the is the most fun and the biggest challenge too one of my favorite images in the book is early on when you're starting to describe how um, in the United States the idea of observing the weather began to develop and there was this network across the United States of people who were looking outside of their windows every day and reporting back every day on what they saw outside in the skies and that just seems like such a different world to how we understand the weather today because rather than looking outside that sort of relationship to the weather is now expanding perhaps is Mm -hmm. how I understood it um could you talk a little bit more about um how um like what you learned of of the historical process of how we got to where the weather machine is today yeah yeah I think that it kind of cuts to the heart of my sort of the my sort of more visceral interest in this topic Mm -hmm. um because there are times when we are looking up at the sky and mm-hmm. that's how we think of the weather. But more often we're like looking down at our phones and we're looking at a radar map or a forecast. Yeah. And, and that, that sort of the contradiction between the, the sort of that sort of visceral and sort of immeasurable and more poetic way that the, you know, that, that sort of cloud watching feeling and the, um, and the, the incredibly technological and sort of pixels and just, and, and the, 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 the very, you know, um, almost the opposite in the way that we get the weather forecast is very it's just sort of the the contradiction that I kind of drives a lot of what I, what I what I write about and I think the history for me um the part that I couldn't find um that I wanted to write the part that I thought was missing um was this story of how the weather depended on a network mm-hmm. um it depended on a, on a network of observers mm-hmm. and it depended on the telegraph and it depended on the ability to communicate um what's happening across distance mm-hmm. faster than the weather moves. Mm-hmm. Um, and so for, so that I ended up looking at the weather history through that lens of essentially of telecommunications, of mm-hmm. this sort of recognition that until you, you can't predict the weather until you can, to, can communicate across distance. Mm-hmm. Like you can't, you can't begin to say what's going to happen in the future here if you don't know what's happening in the present there. Right. And, um, and that, um, that really drove um, my look through um, through the history through the history of forecasting um, focused um, on that on the observation system on the telegraphs mm-hmm. and then changing really dramatically and consequentially um, with a Norwegian meteorologist a guy named Wilhelm Bjorkness um, who had the idea that that you could calculate the weather that you could turn it into 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 math and mm-hmm. from that actually um, have a sort of more uh, a, a, a sort of truly scientific in the sort of trial and error sense idea of what's going to happen next. And that's that's what works today so well. Yeah. Um, it's interesting that you bring up the question of networks because that is 
something yeah. that was very important <laughs> to course, tubes. Yeah. Um, and another question that I wanted to ask was, um, how would you say that the internet machine and the weather machine are mm-hmm. different, and how are they, well, in this case, how are they similar, but how are they different from what you've seen? Um, they they turned out to be a bit more different than I might have <laughs> <than> I <laughs> yeah. might have anticipated. Um, the the f- the most important thing is the internet uh, is bottom up. The internet mm-hmm. has kind of emerged based on the sort of individual actions of a lot of different companies. Mm-hmm. It's a private global network. Um, and the weather machine is very much top down. It's been sort of dictated and designed by meteorologists working in collaboration around the world. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that that's those that results in a, it, it, both a very different structure to the two infrastructures, mm-hmm. um, but also just very different role of individual people in in this evolution mm-hmm. um, and that's that's pretty it's pretty striking it's also striking that the even though it's top down or maybe because it's top down um, it's at it's it's more threatened than the internet might be mm-hmm. it's non-commercial um, mm-hmm. I mean there are there are commercial weather observers but for the most part it is governments that have driven this mm-hmm. um, and it depends on international cooperation um, and international cooperation at the moment um, particularly in scientific topics um, is more fraught than perhaps ever before, mm-hmm. um, which is ironic because the weather machine is more successful and and more um, more capable than it's ever been. Right. Um, and in terms of international cooperation, um, did you get a sense of like what could happen? Um, like what are what are the risks that we are facing? Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, I think um the moment hasn't yet gotten as fraught as I think it might become. Mm-hmm. Um, at the moment, you know, we we I think there's an argument to be made that um, that we're kind of at a at a pinnacle of international cooperation mm-hmm. with weather forecasting, and the threats to it at the moment um, are primarily, well, the one is that that the, the sort of long history of equal collaboration among nations in exchanging their weather observations and in exchange. You know, I give you my observations and you give me my forecast back, mm-hmm. and we all need that for each other, mm-hmm. um, is beginning to erode because so much of the forecast comes from just a couple or a handful of, of supercomputer weather models. Mm-hmm. So it's not about a many-to-many, but it's really about a many-to-one, mm-hmm. um, and that, that makes it more complicated. Um, and then on the other side, um, uh, you, um, you have uh, big, big companies like IBM, like Google, um, that are um, have sort of been tangentially involved in weather forecasting, but are now moving in more. Um, and uh, the question is, um, what what will be their dynamic with this international governments um, and with their collaboration? Um, and there's, it seems that they have plenty of capability um, mm-hmm. that they could produce a really great weather forecast, and that the technological ability has a would be really dramatic. And and but it it is. A shift from 150 years of international cooperation um, between governments. Um, now on to something different. Yeah. What are some of your favorite anecdotes from the research process? For what are, what are some moments that stand out? I think I mean for me the the um, the 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 being in places with people is mm-hmm. always the most exciting part. Mm-hmm. Um, being uh, Hans von Kampen, the Norwegian observer, um, this trip to this place called Utsira, an island off the Norwegian coast, was was really a kind of a sort of distillation of a lot of what interested me about this process of observing the weather in a single place. Um, on the kind of more technological side, um, I think of uh, the time I spent at um, 
place called UMETSAT, the European Meteorological Satellite Agency um, in Darmstadt, outside of Frankfurt, um, where um, it's you know not a huge place, a few hundred people um, that you know spend the days. Uh, you know, with thinking about their satellites zipping around in orbit. Um, and so I, uh, in the control room, sort of got to see through their eyes um, their own um, polar orbiting satellite kind of fly by. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, it's a moment that makes, you know, very vivid this, uh, you know, what, what is otherwise very abstract, mm-hmm. which is weather satellites, you know, mm-hmm. this sort of broad topic. Um, but here was a very particular satellite doing a very particular job, you know, you know, on its daily routine, um, with a guy named Nico, whose job it was to keep an eye on it. Um, so it gets it gets very narrow and very small. And, mm-hmm. and those moments when when something's really happening, when you can really clearly see the thing that you imagine, is what what I think is most you know the, the most most memorable parts for me. Um, and could you also talk a little bit about what your writing process was mm-hmm. like? Obviously, there was a lot Slow. of... Slow. <laughs> <laughs> um, there was a lot of, uh, like, research in different parts of the world, mm-hmm. but also, like, what does it? What did it look like when you sat down to write? Yeah. I think um, I joked for a long time, and then people said, what are you working on? And I would say a book about the weather. Mm-hmm. And it was... It, the sort of broadness of that was, was a joke. Yeah. Um, it can't possibly be that broad. And I think the the this, this 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 strange part of the writing process was how narrow it got. You know, mm-hmm. just that, you know, it is this very it's a broad topic, um, but the way through it, um, f- in order to be vivid and compelling, has to be narrow. Mm-hmm. Um, and to sort of know where to you know where to carve those narrow ruts is is always you know it's it's not just a, a writing process paragraph by paragraph, but it's also the recognition that there were choices um, I made in what to report, um, where to go, who to talk to, um, that I then lived with for a very long time. Mm-hmm. Um, and to, uh, so for me, a lot of it is, is kind of holding the course and saying, well, is the, is the challenge with this writing that I've collected the, the right or the wrong information? Um, or, uh, um, or is it just that this needs more work to sound good on the page? Mm-hmm. And those are, those are different things and sort of different levels of considerations. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, and both are, present equal opportunity to obsess over. <laughs> um, so that sounds like that was one of the mo- more challenging parts of the book. What do you think was some of the more rewarding parts of writing? Rewarding parts of writing? <laughs> no. um, I think the, um, I mean, the, the thrill, I mean, when, when, when paragraphs start to feel like proper paragraphs, it's mm-hmm. just is, is amazing um, and that's and that's part you know it's as frustrating as it is to write something that you know is bad mm-hmm. and I think most writers will say that a lot of that is a lot of the process is sort of fighting back or you know or living with the recognition that what you've done so far is bad and mm-hmm. it needs to be better um, but when paragraphs start to feel like real paragraphs and for me it, it's it is always it's at the it's always paragraphs it's just it's it's that that's 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 how I think about things and that's mm-hmm. when I when when something's working I feel like it's working because it's a good paragraph mm-hmm. Um, and um, and the thrill of of sort of uh, smoothing that out from you know a few pages to a few chapters to to hopefully the entire book is really is really um you know unmatched. <laughs> it's um, and what does your workspace look like when you sit down to write? Yeah, where do you typically like to get going? Uh, the um, I um, for almost ten years now have um, shared with my wife a small office in Brooklyn mm-hmm. um, separate from our home mm-hmm. um, it's just it's a it's like a 8 by 10 room 8 by 15 room mm-hmm. um, and um, and I, I have 
uh, indulge myself with two screens. <laughs> um, so I often uh, have um, not just notes on one screen, um, but I, uh, I work um, with the writing program Scrivener so, mm-hmm. that, um, that allows you to work basically, I mean, for me, it's, it's two documents or the same document side by side. Um, so I, you asked about my writing space, and I'm telling you about my screen. <laughs> I think that that says that says something. Um, but it, it but it, it it's the thing that allows this process of revision to work the best. Mm-hmm. That it's not that it's you know always um, there's sort of two versions. There's the old version and what I hope is going to be the new better version mm-hmm. um, side by side on the screen. That's so interesting. Um, and so do you go building onto the new version? And how often do you find yourself looking back to the old? <laughs> I think. Um, well, it's it's interesting. So it's not. I shouldn't say it's the old version and the n- mm-hmm. new version. It's it's this. It's the same document, but mm-hmm. you're. I'm just moving back down through it. If okay. that makes sense. Right. Um, and Scrivener allows you to kind of either uh, to sort of have the whole the whole chapter on half the screen, and then the particular paragraph on the other half. Oh, okay. Um, and so I'm often uh, starting at the beginning of a chapter or section, mm-hmm. and um, and trying to write through it in a way um, that it sounds like me that it sounds like what I want it to sound like mm-hmm. um, and um, it, it means that sort of all the scraps get kind of sort of get pushed down to the bottom of the screen and then at, the, at some point I chop them off and throw them out or actually I don't throw them out I always save them uh, but um, but the um, but it uh, but it is um, it is about trying to find that uh, you know 45 minutes or hour or you know on a good day hour and a half or two hours of real of concentration that is actually writing yeah um and um it's not it's not easy to summon that mm-hmm. uh and it i find it um except in real pushes for deadline it's it's hard to do that for um, more than a couple sessions a day you mm-hmm. know a really solid day of writing would be two of those sustained pushes mm-hmm. um you know preceded by you know three hours each of you know serving the internet <laughs> um and that takes time but yeah. one hopes it works yeah. <laughs> yeah that's the that's always the thing um, and what are you working on now? What we're talking about, forward, backward, big, yeah. small. What are you looking forward toward? Um, it's one of after spending so much time with this one topic and mm-hmm. this sort of one this this more uh, defined set of material, um, which again was got narrower and narrower and narrower. Mm-hmm. Uh, I it's been it's been really fun to 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 go back to more to broader magazine work, mm-hmm. um, and. Um, and it's it means that you know the, the the pieces are of course smaller but but more diverse. Mm-hmm. Um, so on you know the last couple of months or on, on any given day, it, you know I, it could be about a ninety year old sailboat designer or uh, a a transformer station on the coast of England um, or a new undersea cable that's kind of an, a bit of an update to to, to reporting that in tubes, um, and that um you know to to begin to think about. You know, a new range of topics, um, and also to have the luxury of not having to uh, obsess over them for years. Books are <laughs> books are books are their own thing. Um, mm-hmm. Has been a has been a good good palate cleanser um, as as this as this book is now done. Yeah, um, and we're so excited. It's um, me too. <laughs> done. <laughs> yes. Um, okay, so I was thinking, we're so hard on weather people sometimes, mm-hmm. and the weather predictions that we get. We're like, we need it now, in the moment of now, the moment of Twitter. Um, and so when I was reading, I was it forced me to kind of rethink how I am hard on those predictions a lot, and we're really evolving, and what we have is kind of amazing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you want to talk about that a little bit. Yeah. 
I mean, I, I do, it is a kind of premise of the book that this is a golden age of weather forecasting. And that's hard to convince people of if they're, mm. if they're more, you know, if, if, if they've gotten caught in the rain or there yeah. was a snow day that shouldn't have been a snow day or things like that. <laughs> um, I do think a lot of that, our moments of annoyance with it are a disconnect between what the forecast really says and what we actually hear. Yeah. Um, sometimes the forecast says something like it might rain. Um, and that's actually a really good forecast, um, but we just don't <laughs> want to hear it um, <laughs> because it might and it might not. Yeah. Um, and that I think that's a challenge. But um, but I think the the uh, I mean a lot of the reason a lot of what I hope people get out of the book is that if is the understanding of what the system's made of in a way that can make their response to the yeah. forecast the kind of the, the the actions they take because of what it says um, you know more meaningful and and in the extreme sort of safer. You know, it's like it's it's you know that's 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 when the you know the forecast gets very dramatic at points, um, but also you know if the if it says it's going to rain at four o'clock on Tuesday and it's your app has said it's going to rain at four o'clock on Tuesday for the last five days, um, you can be pretty sure it's going to rain at four o'clock on Tuesday. Understanding how it works, I think, helps um, make sort of recognize when it's right and when it's not sure it's right. Not I won't say wrong. I'll just say <laughs> I'll just say unconvinced. Um, how do you get your weather yeah. forecasts <laughs> um i use weather underground which mm-hmm. is a not uncommon app mm-hmm. um but it's it's driven by the same sort of back-end system as the weather channel um but i think it it takes its uh it takes its users a bit more seriously in that it gives you more detail mm-hmm. um and um and uh, maybe isn't quite as simple, but if you are looking for kind of, uh, you know, if you want the sort of gradients to be sharper of when it's going to stop raining and when it's going to start raining, for example, um, I think it's pretty good. So, but um, I was using, there was a, the Norwegian app was really good, um, but then the weather uh, underground app sort of caught up with it. But the Norwegian app was very satisfying. It was only in Celsius, so it was a bit, <laughs> a bit complicated. Um, but then they had a Fahrenheit, which made it less interesting also, so. <laughs> Great. Well, thank you so much, Andrew, for uh, speaking to us about the weather machine. Um, Make sure you look out for the weather machine just coming out this year. And if you're not totally convinced about why it's important to you, I wanted to read a quote that we recently got from Seth Fletcher about this book. He says, Andrew Blum is a master of revealing the hidden systems behind technologies we take for granted. In The Weather Machine, he takes on the daily forecast, and the result is a deeply researched, tightly written, compulsively readable, and totally fascinating. Um, And I absolutely agree with that. It's a really fun book, and really enlightening and really incisive and it's just been a pleasure to work. Great. With you on this. I hope it's a pleasure to read as well. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you.